This is what you're fighting for. I mean, every day you're out there. What they're doing is blowing people off. If you continue to look the other way and shut up, then the oppressors, the authoritarians get total control and total power. Because this is just like in Arizona, this is just like in Georgia. It's another element that backs them into a quarter and shows their lies and misrepresentations. This is why this audience is gonna have to get engaged. As we've told you, this is the fight. All this nonsense, all this spin, they can't handle the truth. War Room, Battleground. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Donald Trump was president. Taxes were cut. Regulations were slashed. Energy was abundant. R wages were rising. Capital was returning from overseas to fund the dreams and ambitions of our fellow Americans. And the economy was roaring. What a contrast to what we have seen from this administration now. And so I rise to nominate Donald Trump for the position of Speaker of the House. And for all of the vitriol that we hear from the media and at times the left, there were great moments of bipartisanship under the Trump presidency. And the Democrat nominee for Speaker knows that well because he led valiantly on the efforts for criminal justice reform, and I was honored to join him. And I know no matter who's sitting in that speaker chair, we got a lot of work to do on that very issue. We took a first step, but there's a second step and a third step to take. And I'm glad that we were able to work with President Trump, with Republicans, and with Democrats to provide real outcomes for Americans to create greater prosperity and more opportunity. President Trump is considering a visit to the U.S. Capitol early next week as House Republicans consider who should be their next speaker, according to two GOP lawmakers and two Trump allies. Former president who has not set foot on Capitol grounds since prior to January 6th is considering making an appearance. So he goes on Fox News this afternoon and says this, quote, they have asked me if I want it. Um, not clear who they are. There are voices in his head who sometimes chime in as well, as we all know. But Basil, do you... Um, do we entertain this? Do we give it oxygen? Do we ignore it in the next surprise if it happens? How do, what do we do with this? Well, I think you, you, have, you can't ignore it because the reality is every GOP candidate on that debate stage, even if they claim to be running against Donald Trump's policies, they still, you know, serve fealty to him. So he's going to be a player in all of this. Um, and, and of course, I hate to say that, but the reality is I have to, I have to account for it, I, I should mm -hmm. say. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, what you won't see is what we saw in 1994 with Newt Gingrich standing with members of Congress and saying, this is the contract with America and all the intellectual underpinnings from the Heritage Foundation. I don't mean to sound wistful about that time about in the Republican that, right, Party, right. but... It does, it does reinforce uh, the, this juxtaposition where you had Representative Comer on Tuesday saying, we have no plan. Representative Davidson saying, there's no path forward to governing. So to me, what you're looking at with either Scalise Jordan or, uh, yes, yeah, Scalise Jordan or, and Donald Trump's influence is that you're looking at who's going to more quickly decimate what's left of the Republican Party. Um, and, 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 and create something that is so antithetical to where the rest of this country is. Um, uh, that, you know, I hate to use the term lesser of two evils because I've just, just. We got, and by the way, Memphis, we're in the second hour. It's Thursday, 5 October. You're perfect. Memphis, you're doing part of my production team. It's so outrageous what's being said. Brother, he's, he's winning every poll. You're saying the nation's rejecting this. He's winning every poll for President of the United States. So maybe here's what we do, if we can do it. Tell me to do it. Let's get Troy Nels on our show earlier today. 
a nominee. Just, just get that ready, and then I want to flip the t- entire MSNBC after that. So we hear him nominate. Okay. Well, we played at Gates is what went on in January. Remember, we were the first advocates for Trump to be speaker. And if Trump had stepped in as speaker on some interim basis and just taken us through 2023, we wouldn't be here. The budget would be cut. The appropriations bills would be done. The impeachment investigations would have gone on. And uh, Trump be back out to the presidential trail. But no Keebler elves. None of that waste. Not a waste of time. But that didn't happen. And we're not one to look back and, and whine, as you know. Uh, we are where we are, but this is quite powerful. Congressman Troy Nels from Texas was on here today. He said he's putting his name, he is nominating Donald J. Trump to be interim speaker. Now, his idea of interim speaker went all the way through a lot of 2024. My idea is, is a lot shorter, and it is to allow the party to kind of sit down and have all these things that have to be done here immediately, and that would be get the appropriations bills done, sit down with the Senate, hammer out and negotiate in a conference, the overall appropriations, what it's going to be, take out the woke and weaponized defang, uh, and who better to do that than having Trump sitting at the negotiation table with you with Mitch McConnell and Schumer on the other side, hammer that out, and then the White House is going to have a big role in this, and then get Biden to sign it and get that all done before year end. So no omnibus, and people have been able to look through and see all this stuff. In addition, take dramatic action on the southern border. Force Biden's hand forth. They're out today, Mac Daddy on Drudge and Mayorkas. They're saying, yeah, we got to build a wall. We're going to build a wall because the Upper West Side and Upper East Side of New York are now overwhelmed with the illegal alien invaders. All of a sudden, it's, uh, it's, it's a problem. You know, Colorado, what, number two? What did Bobert tell us first hour? Number two state in the Union and fentanyl. Every state's a border state. People dying all over the place. Crime run rampant. What's that situation up in. Uh, so Wisconsin, Illinois, the house where the gang raped a little girl, 11 years old, all illegal aliens. Just It's just savages. These are savages. Not all of them, but they're not sending their best. That's why it's got to be stopped. If, you, if you're sending your best, it's got to be stopped. It's the rules of the rules. They're, 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 they've toned the asylum rules out, and just anybody that wants to come can just come. That's got to stop. Trump can stop that. Trump can also get the investigation oversight going. And then, as I said this morning on Getter, that's where you have to go to Getter, download the app. You want to get the inside baseball on the war room and get ahead of the curve. You got Grace, you got Mo, you got Jane Zirkel, you got Natalie G. Winters, Ben Harnwell, the entire team, all the team, and more. Putting stuff up all the time. War posse's all over it. If you had been on Getter, you would have seen this morning, I don't know, it was before the show, it was like 9 o'clock, 9.30. I put up that President Trump should come in for 100 days and leave exactly, exactly at high noon on the 20th of January, 2024. He should turn it over to whoever the conference picks. Is it Jordan? Is it Scalise? Is it uh, Hearns of Oklahoma? Whoever. They've got a lot of folks that are interested in it. Jump in. And in seeing that, it'd be one year from the date that he's going to take his, put his hand on the Bible at high noon and take an oath to heaven as the 47th president of the United States of America. It's got symmetry to it. It has symmetry. If done appropriately, Tuesday will be one of the most memorable days in American political history. It'll be Donald John Trump returning to the imperial capital. 
to set things right. Let's go and play. I want to play in the order of, I think we got Sheriff Nels this morning, the 10 o'clock show, and I really want to thank him. Uh, and then we'll play MSNBC. This is the first guy just came across the wire for MSNBC. You see their original, and I'll let it, and, 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 and we love playing MSNBC clips and CNN, but more MSNBC because that gets you more. Because you can see how they're positioning things. That's what we play them. We know it irritates you. It's supposed to irritate you. I didn't sh- say the show's supposed to be easy. If you want easy shows, this is probably not the place for you. Okay, let's go ahead and play it. And you look at what we see today now with Biden. We got a crisis on every corner. and We didn't have these issues when Trump was president. I'm thinking he did such a fabulous job. He was the greatest president of my lifetime. If uh, he made America great again, why do we get Donald Trump to make Congress great again? I mean, we it seems right now we've got individuals that are vying, that are going to run for Speaker of the House. I don't know if we can find consensus, find that candidate. Um, and I just think Donald Trump would be the perfect interim. He could stay there for 14 months, uh, be the Speaker of the House, continue to run for president, and then uh, – after January, he could just move right over into the White House where he belongs. It's done. I am nominating Donald J. Trump for Speaker of the House. Yes. President Trump is considering a visit to the U.S. Capitol early next week as House Republicans consider who should be their next speaker, according to two GOP lawmakers and two Trump allies. Former president who has not set foot on Capitol grounds since prior to January 6th is considering making an appearance. So he goes on Fox News this afternoon and says this, quote, they have asked me if I want it. Um, not clear who the they are. There are voices in his head who sometimes chime in as well, as we all know. But Basil, do you, um, do we entertain this? Do we give it oxygen? Do we ignore it in the next surprise if it happens? How do, what do we do with this? Well, I think you, you have, you can't ignore it because the reality is every GOP candidate on that debate stage, even if they claim to be running against Donald Trump's policies, they still you know, sort of fealty to him. So he's going to be a player in all of this. Um, and, and of course, I hate to say that, but the reality is I have to, I have to account for it, I, I should mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, what you won't see is what we saw in 1994 with Newt Gingrich standing with members of Congress and saying, this is the contract with America and all the intellectual underpinnings from the Heritage Foundation. I don't mean to sound wistful about that time about in the Republican that, right, Party, right. but... It does, it does reinforce, uh, the, this juxtaposition where you had Representative Comer on Tuesday saying, we have no plan. Representative Davidson saying, there's no path forward to governing. So to me, what you're looking at with either Scalise Jordan or, uh, yes, Scalise Jordan or, and Donald Trump's influence is that you're looking at who's going to more quickly decimate what's left of the Republican Party. Um, and, 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 and create something that is so antithetical to where the rest of this country is. Um, uh, that, you know, I hate to use the term lesser of two evils because I just generally hate saying that. But in my strategy, this, my strategist had is, well, who's the one that's going to unite Republicans the most and raise the most money for the more vulnerable members? That probably is going to be part of the test. But the reality is it doesn't matter anyway, because it's it's all bad and it's all the worst possible outcome. David Jolly, what, what are you hearing about the pacing? of? OK. Um, you saw the first response. They're going to decimate what's left. No, if they're telling you do something, do the opposite. That's generally what you want to do. Do the opposite. Um, this is very important. So we're in posse. Listen up. 
Number one, on the 202-225-3121, or make sure there's a lot going on. Uh, South Carolina rhinos, the established South Carolina, are dragging uh, Nancy Mace because of her heroic stand. If you're down in her district, or if you're in the state of South Carolina, or if you have become a fan of Nancy Mace and her principled stand, I remember Nancy Mace, and of course the, the media was going, oh, Bannon confronted her. We didn't, she'd been on the show before, they haven't been confronting. She's, a, her interpretation of the Constitution, she voted for my uh, contempt charge. Hey, we're in the middle of a revolution. I can, I can, you know, you're going to have alliances and you're going to have alliances. I have no, I don't agree with that. Obviously, in my appeal, which will come, I think, now in November, the government's asked for a delay because of a personal tragedy to one of the people on the government's team. Uh, I think the appeal's now in November. Uh, it's very tightly argued, and my attorneys are also constitutionalists and make a very compelling argument about some of the biggest constitutional issues in the House and also about executive privilege and other things. And that'll all come out over time. As you know, I never talk about uh, the cases on here because I think it's it's more appropriate just let it play out in a court of law. Um, but I have no problem. I don't agree with her, but I have no problem, particularly having her in the war room. And now she's getting dragged down to South Carolina. So for the media, no. It was no, I was teasingly saying she had voted to send me to a federal prison. We got, uh, we're going to get Natalie up in a second. Natalie's in a little bit of flame war. Natalie, our own Natalie G. Winters. Now, Natalie, uh, you have been so focused and probably the lead investigator about the Chinese Communist Party, its infiltration in America, everything in Wuhan. Recently, you have done a pivot because we need to get into the back of a lot of the stuff in Ukraine. You've written a number of stories, just been fantastic. There's a congressman today that's taking umbrage with your uh, with your reporting and analysis. Can you walk us through it? Of course. The Putin pawn, uh, this is Representative Marcy Kapter from Ohio, a Democrat on the Appropriations Committee. She's also the co-chair of the Congressional Ukraine Committee. Um, but this has to do with a story that I published earlier today and we talked about on War Room, how there were a lot of people in the mainstream media Pushing for more aid to Ukraine, who also happened to be on the U.S.-Ukraine Business Council lobbying group that represents not just the defense industry, but the Ukrainian government itself. And I continue to look into the group today, and believe it or not, a you know current U.S. congressman, that is Representative Marcy Kaptur, is also a strategic advisor to this entity, which in and of itself, I think, is... I mean, that's, that's the true story, right? It's absolutely ridiculous. I'm going to keep digging into her, because obviously I touched a nerve. Or the Democrats just have something with uh, unregistered foreign lobbying. Uh, but she didn't like that I took to Twitter to expose her for doing this. So I'll, I'll, I'll read what she, she quote tweeted in the shade war. She said, and keep in mind, she's basically admitting to working for a foreign lobbying group by saying this. She says, the all-volunteer U.S.-Ukraine Business Council seeks to establish and deepen economic connections and trade between freedom-loving peoples. In the context of Russia's horrific invasion, it is vitally important, life-saving work. Meanwhile, Putin's pawns are everywhere. I see she went for the alliteration, but uh, obviously <laughs> not true. But I think it, it shows you, I mean, like you said this morning, Steve, when we get to the bottom of this whole Ukraine issue... Altruism will not be the prevailing uh, motivation for what these people are doing. About is saying it's all volunteer. Uh, yeah. No, no. I I just want to make sure she called you. She referred to you as Putin's pawn, basically saying that you're doing this at the behest of the KGB and you're one of these sympathizers 
with Putin. Why would she do that? Well, I think we touched a nerve. I think when you really dig down into what the Ukraine conflict is about, you know, I think the stories we've been putting out this week really show that the sort of fog of war that they've created around Ukraine and the aid and the actual reality of the fighting on the ground is intentional, right? For lack of a better metaphor, they're the ones running the fog machines. They're the ones calling for continued foreign aid, calling or or rather opposing audits, opposing the ability to actually understand where our money is going. Because I think, again, with these stories we've been publishing, you can sort of reverse engineer and see that often the interests that whether it's lobbyists, the mainstream talking heads, or in this case, quite literally, Democratic elected officials um, who are, you know, like I said, on the Appropriations Committee, the very same members who have written letters to Joe Biden demanding F-16s for Ukraine and have been a leading voice in the House for more Ukraine aid, even amidst the current negotiations uh, over the CR. She did a House speech where she said Ukraine is our priority. Ukraine must win. Um, and I think there's an un I would say a very sticky, unsettling uh, convergence between the interests, uh, not just that people like her represent, but also the beneficiaries of these foreign aid packages. And like I said, if the best line of defense that they got is that we're Russian disinformation, uh, how'd that work out for you in 2016? I think we won and uh, yeah. we'll win again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bring it, baby. Uh, Natalie. <laughs> What's your social media so people can get your work uh, in any updates you've been putting up today? Where do they go? I'm sure Marcy Kaptur will be the first to be seeing what I tweet out as I continue my investigations into her. You can go to Natalie G. Winters to also join in on the fun. <laughs> it's pretty good. You drew uh, you drew the ire of a congressman uh, in the first day of putting out this, uh, this series of stuff. So good job, ma'am. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Marcy Captor got to understand uh, Natalie G. Winters. I think she just turned 21, right? She's been working with us for years. She was an intern over at National Pulse, worked at National Pulse when she was at University of Chicago, worked for us when she was at University of Chicago as an undergraduate, spent most of her time. I mean, she graduated, I mean, she's acing all the courses at one of the toughest undergraduate programs in the country. Remember, University of Chicago is really a graduate school. It's got a, has an undergraduate uh, college, but it's really a, essentially a graduate school for brilliant people. Uh, and Natalie's been here. You, you've seen her work. It's just absolutely incredible. And now she's trained her guns. I can tell you this, as we've gone through and looked at the Ukraine situation, the reason I want her to drill down, and we're working with other people are too. There is something, um, and I've said this many times, it, there's something very dark. When we get to the bottom of it, and we're not to the bottom of it, when we get to the bottom of it, it's going to be very dark and a very shameful moment in um, in American history of how we of how we got in there, how we did it, what we did, who we did it for, where the money went, all of it, what was going on, and there's so many complex layers, and people are pulling it back every day. But just like in the way you know you negotiate, the way as you can tell, being a war room aficionado or posse member. We have a certain house style here, and usually that's to slam into something and try to, you know, drive it in a different direction, more to your objectives. This is why Ukraine right now is so central to all the things we're talking about. And think about it for a second. The invasion of the south- your southern border, an invasion of your country, a loss of your sovereignty, a loss of really the value of your citizenship is all about your eyes. I mean, think about it, the beautiful 
the, the uh, as beautiful a state, majestic. Colorado is majestic. When you come off of those plains from Nebraska and you see the Rocky Mountains and you get into the Rockies, or if you come up through, um, if you go to Four Corners and come through that way, or if you come through the, the southern part, you come through New Mexico, it is such, the Rocky Mountains there, it's so majestic. It's really a breathtaking, the beauty of the state is, is nothing short of breathtaking. And the folks out there are among the finest in the United States of America. And think about that for a second. It's a, because they made it a sanctuary state, it's the number two state in the country for fentanyl. I think fentanyl deaths, as Congressman Bober told us. That's why every town's a border town, every state's a border state. I said this on We Build the Wall. That was the number one thing. We knew with the money we had, we could only build X amount of miles of wall. This was the time that Pelosi really had President Trump handcuffed, so he couldn't build it. But in building that, you would make the case and be able to make the case that it's, you have to build a wall as a starter. You have to seal off the southern border as a starter because of what policy-wise we were allowed to happen. And then there's obviously so much more that goes on. But the case we made is that every town, this is back in 2019, every town's a border town and every state's a border state. We were the first ones to say that. That was back in 19. We went around the country from Arizona to um, Cincinnati, Ohio, up to Detroit, Michigan, and gave these big conferences, all-day events. And it came true. It was coming true then. And, and doing that and all the complexity and, and, and having to do these mass deportations where they're, they're hiding, they're not doing the proper checking and vetting here, and they're not doing because they don't want any deportations. Think about it. In all of... And all of that, Ukraine, 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 Ukraine. They were prepared to shut down the government over Ukraine. They're coming back now with games. And you've heard Jordan because there's enough worked up congressmen because of you, the audience. They go back home. They say, look, you know, there's not enough cuts in this budget. And you understand you're cutting out some programs that may be deserving, but we can't afford them. But how can you be talking about putting 100? Think of the, think of the criminality. This is a criminality. I want you to think about this. Think of this criminality. The cut, what didn't go on in your community, what hasn't gone on as far as development, what hasn't gone on that you could use help for, if there were resources, $120 billion has already been spent. $120 billion. Let me repeat that. $120 billion in, I think, one year. $120 billion. $120 billion. And they want to, for, for this year, another $80 billion. And now they're panicked. Should they do the big ask for $24 billion? They came out a couple weeks ago and said the first tranche could be $24 billion. They were shocked. Mitch McConnell, who thinks he used to be able to run the Senate with an iron fist on the weekend where he had the big negotiations. And, of course, you know, McCarthy came in with the, uh, with the, uh, the clean CR, essentially, they cost him his speakership, or one of the many things that cost him his speakership, the lies and misrepresentations about that being, at least in the foremost in people's mind. McConnell sat down at that lunch or sat down on the table and just said, hey, we're, we're putting in $6 billion. They're going to do $6 billion. The Senate Republican collaborations who always agree with him didn't kowtow this time. Didn't kowtow. They said, you can't do that. It won't pass. We're not going to do it. We're not going to get blown up by the war and posse and others back home. We're not going to do it. No money in Ukraine. And there should be no money in Ukraine whatsoever. No supplemental, nothing. The number is zero. If, if, have you seen, have you ever seen Europe? You ever seen Switzerland? Was it Stad, Gestad? And you got this other ski resorts and you got 
was it Provence and Tuscany and Florence in Italy and in in uh, in, in southern France, and you got the beauty beauty of Spain and in rural France and up to the Low Countries and Germany and the wealth uh, they get, they have full they have full uh, medical care. They have socialized medicine, have full medical care. Everybody's got a pension. They all take August off. They all retire, I don't know, when they're 50 years old. They work a four-day week. Life's pretty good. Even for, but the, for the wealthy, it's super good. I mean, you're living, it's, 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 a, it's, a, uh, it's like a fairyland. You go, and it just, it's incredible for the wealthy there. Let them put it up. We bailed them out enough. World War One, World War Two, the Cold War. We're not doing it for a fourth time. Not going to happen. Not going to do it. Here's how much money for Ukraine. Zero. In fact, I think with Bovis, I want to start the process of getting the uh, tribunal together to find out how much they stole, who stole it, where it went. And we did it with the Russian oligarchs, and it should be done. I have no problem if you're going to do this. But with the, uh, uh, the Ukrainian oligarchs, the third most corrupt country on earth, I want to get all the money back. I want to try them, put them in prison. Everybody that stole from the American people, everybody that stole from the American people, and there ought to be an investigation of what they knew and what they were doing when they send those young kids in Ukraine. The 50,000 combat casualties that the New York Times and Pentagon tells us they have 50,000 combat casualties. Okay, we're going to take a short commercial break. We'll be back with uh, Congressman Andy Biggs. We're so proud of Congressman Biggs. He stood up the other day in this historic moment and gave one of these amazing uh, speeches. He and uh, Gates and um, Good were the prosecution, and their case, they won their case, because uh, McCarthy's gone. Birchgold.com slash the fourth, I'm so proud of this, the fourth in the series, The End of the Dollar Empire. This is the assassination of American prosperity. It takes the story up to 1971, a weekend at Camp David, a three-day weekend from Friday to Sunday. Friday, they went up with the team. And on Sunday, President Nixon addressed the nation, and guess what he told him? Hey, guess what? The gold is no longer convertible. U.S. dollar is no longer convertible into gold. Sorry about that. Did they pass a law? No, they did not. He signed an emergency executive order, which, by the way, in my understanding, an executive order can be signed by Donald John Trump right after high noon on the 20th of January 2025 and rescind that. Now, think about that for a moment. On, on our way, on our path, our journey to end the Fed. Go check it out at birchgold.com slash Bannon right now. One of the heroes, Andy Biggs, joins us when we return. We're talking about additional Ukraine funding. Is that going to be, maybe that's good in your districts. Maybe it's not. But that money's not offset. We're not paying for it. We haven't designated how we're going to pay for that. The same with the disaster package. The IRS remains 80% increased. And I would tell you, I could, get, I, will go, I could go down the list, but I will just tell you why this happens. When you don't do your 12 budget bills, and you rely ultimately on a CR, and I'll get to the calendar in a second, what happens is you cannot leverage this administration to actually enforce the border laws that you need to have enforced. This is a lawless Biden regime. 
They will not enforce border laws. And we can pass them till we're blue in the face. But until you leverage the budget and the spending, you will not see enforcement by, these, by this, this administration. So now take a look at the calendar that, the, that we were just provided last week. We're supposed to finish, we're supposed to finish by November 3rd our 12 bills. By November 17th, that's when we're supposed to see that the conference committees have come together, both sides, and we've resolved this. I don't believe that that's going to happen. It wasn't going to happen before. You were, you were betting on the come again. At some point, I'd urge you to stop betting on the come and bet on the reality. That's why I can't support the speaker any longer. I'll be uh, voting for the motion to vacate. Yield back. Reserve. Gentleman yields back his time. Congressman Biggs, uh, you've been a hero to people on this show and throughout the nation, not just in your own district, of the, of the you're straightforward. You don't try to play any games. You walk things through. I thought the speech was incredibly powerful and just the basic way you walked through and made this compelling case. And here's what I found, and you've got to help us out here. That's why I want to have you on because the audience is confused. The defense, and they had so many speakers, and some people we really respect up there, but a lot that, you know, are maybe marginal. But it was just one happy talk, talking point after the other. You, Congressman Good and Matt Gates, I mean, brought the heat, and you did it in a much more low-key demeanor to lay out facts, but you guys were bringing the heat. They were just going through a series of, it seemed like RNC or Fox News talking points. What was the stra the strategy, the work that you, Gates, and Good came up with, and the others? Walk us through what what were you doing? What were you trying to? How were you handling that? The prosecution of the case. Well, so for us, I, I think the overarching theme was to speak to the American people why this is necessary, what's going on, and give them a glimpse of what's happening and why you have to make some ex an extraordinary change um, in leadership, and so. Matt, Matt was kind of driving the truck, and he said he thought Bob should go first, which I thought was was true because Bob had voted for the that C the first CR. Bob had voted for the first debt ceiling, and so he he had credibility where he could say, "I was with you guys, I was with the speaker," but the, he's basically devastated. He ultimately devastated us on the debt ceiling bill. And he and he devastated us again uh, the day after on uh, of the the CR last Friday, and so that was important. And then Matt was Matt was doing a good job because Matt was kind of laying out his his case, and then he was there to take the the shots from the other side. Now the other side was not talking to the American people; they weren't. They were talking to the body. So when Garrett Graves gets this his his cell phone up and he, he takes it up and he's holding it up. What he's doing is he's trying to tell the body, isn't this awful, pernicious? Uh, Matt Gates is raising money. And Matt turned it right around on him and said, look, you guys all raise money from every PAC and special interest in Washington, D.C. Matt doesn't get money from PACs. I, Good doesn't get money. I mean, we might get two or 3,000 bucks, 5,000 bucks from a PAC or something like that from all the PACs. And they're all going to be like pro-Second Amendment, pro-life PACs. But they don't give much money, and we don't give much money. Our money comes in from donors who who agree with us, and they're sending it in. And they didn't like it. And so so they're speaking to the, the body. They're not speaking to the American people. And then when I got up, I was trying to lay out the case. 
why why you have two massive failings of of this of of Speaker McCarthy's administration, and they both have led to greater inflation, uh, failure to get anything done. Uh, you nobody can tell you what we've got done. They'll say, oh, we passed HR one and HR two. Are those laws? No, they're not laws. Well, why aren't they laws? Well, because the Senate won't do anything. Well, why won't the Senate do anything? The Senate won't do anything because the House has failed to do the budget bills and the budget bills are what the founding fathers gave as the leverage against the other house and also against the uh, the executive branch. They're our check. And these guys give up the check every year by doing the CR. And, and don't forget, we, we walked into a debt ceiling that says there is no debt ceiling and we're not even gonna revisit it until January, 2025, after the 24 election, which by the way, both are the things that Joe Biden said he wanted out of the debt ceiling. Is it not the death said, by the way, article today. So you got the, 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 the one month at a high from uh, 2001. I think the three month, a high from 2000, uh, the, the, the three year, five year, 10 year at highs from right before the financial crash in 2007, which is always a great sign. The thirties at a, at a, at a 25 year high, the 30 year mortgage is now, I think the biggest, uh, the highest has been since 2000. People are getting crushed. Uh, Bob, uh, Bob Dahl, who's the chief investment officer of a huge head fund, was on Fox Business today. And this guy I've seen before. He's a very methodical guy. He's not flashy. He said, look, uh, I've done some basic numbers here. And unless we get control now of this spending, and I mean now with real cuts and a real plan, we are potentially heading in the short term. He says by 24, by he thinks third quarter 24, to what could potentially be a Great Depression. And this guy is no, he's not an alarmist. What I think this audience admired most about you in this entire thing, because the Warren Posse stayed up to three in the morning and watched the amendments. They wanted to see the process. They wanted to see the amendments process. Every time you stood up on an amendment, you would give, in your five minutes, you would give a minute, 90 seconds or two minutes to lay out the amendment and the argument. Then you would always pivot. You, you were like uh, Cato the Elder. Right about Carthage because he would end everything and oh, and Carthage must be destroyed. You you pivoted to Cato the Elder and every time you came right back to the same topic, you came right back to the spending, you came right back to the to the debt. Where are we? Is this is this fight at the end of the day get down to crystallize over that? Um, I'm just going to tell you, uh, I it should. Okay, Steve, it really should. Will it? I don't know. Um. Sometimes this stuff gets lost. I mean, these guys, these guys are more interested in, in, um, you know, talking points. How do, what, what can you give to talking points in your district? And really, um, Steve, what we're, you and I are talking about is the existential uh, nature of the crisis we are in. And my colleagues are not. And as long as they refuse to acknowledge that we are in an existential crisis, I, I want to bring this back to something. I didn't say this on the floor. I don't, I don't remember saying this. Uh, and during the amendments fight, but here's, here it is. Studies are really clear. When an empire goes down and fails, the, it, it, two things happen. It loses its geographic integrity. In other words, its borders are obliterated. Our borders are obliterated. We don't have a Southern border anymore. It's just gone. So that's for step one. The second thing is you lose control of your economy, which devastates, excuse me, you lose control of your currency, which devastates your economy. That's where we are. Those two things right there, that those are necessary conditions 
to for destruction of an empire. Um, and quite frankly, unless we cure it, they will also be sufficient um, criterion for our for our na nation to be destroyed. That's why it's so important to get hold of the federal spending and those bills. It is the last hope to actually pivot and control and leverage against this administration. And by the way, I, was, I did another hit earlier today and the, and the host actually read a statement and the statement said that, uh, you know, he's, from, he was quoting from the Wall Street Journal that, that if we don't uh, uh, immediately take care of our de de uh, debt and deficit, then we're going to go right into a depression or something like that. I can't remember the exact words, but and then the guy's asking me, so why, well, you know, why are you so fixated on this? I'm like, you just read it. Why? <laughs> why? Stop. Why. That didn't happen. Tell, tell me that didn't happen. No. It happened. It happened. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, what, this did, is what. Let, but, but yeah, I want to go back because these people are plenty smart. It's not that they're dumb. You got a lot of lawyers. I know you want, you got a lot of lawyers. You got a lot of businessmen, men and women. These are not stupid people. And they've come up to a system. Some like Eli Crane have come out of kind of nowhere to win a house yeah. seat. But most of those have been in state legislatures like you have. They've worked their way through the system or been mayors or been county supervisors. This is not their first rodeo. Why is it just the way the system is that does not want them to focus on it because it's too overwhelming? Why will they not just look at what the central problem we have to get around? If we don't solve this problem, the country's over. Now, there's so many other things that are important, but this is absolutely existential. What does the conservative side not get about that? Well, I'm going to I'm going to give you uh, a couple of reasons why. So I think I think I believe in path dependence. I believe in increasing returns. And what's happened? These guys have built up regimes and institu institutions and rules that keep them going down the same path. Right. So they believe in that. And and so they get elected and the leadership immediately goes to them and tries to co-opt them. They tried to co-opt me. Um, and actually. Uh, before I got elected. And then when they realized they couldn't, they actually spent money against me to try to overturn my election. So so this is what happens. And it is the it is a uniparty. And I, I know people said, oh, well, yeah, you don't mean uniparty. I do mean uniparty. I mean the, the, the K Street lobbyists, the people who leave here from Congress and go out and make millions of dollars as, as lobbyists after they leave Congress. I mean, all of this, they build these regimes and institutions so you keep going down the same path. And when when you be begin to exit, and all we've done now, Steve, with this with this change in guard here, is we've actually stepped on the path for a short-term exit. The short-term pain is high, and nobody likes to experience the short-term pain, but the long-term rewards are so optimal and beneficial that I think it's important to take the pain. It's like getting surgery to be healed. The surgery is gonna, in the recovery may be uh, dramatic, but maybe in the long term, you're in a much better shape. But they get caught up in this, and the Uniparty actually controls this stuff. Um, the media reinforces it. Uh, the 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 donor class um, uh, that gives to leadership, they give to leadership. Why do they give to leadership instead of giving to me? They give to leadership because they think it's rent seeking. They're trying to get the rents. They're they're trying to pay the rents and and get what they want. And and so it's so easy to fall into that trap and so difficult to stand out there. Look what happens to us. I mean, um, 
we 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 get threat. We, we're called every name in the book, which is a big deal. I don't care about that really, and I also don't care that the packs have have you know they they don't they don't give to me. I mean, no, they don't give to me. They don't give to Gates. They don't give to Good. That's fine. But what they're trying to do is they will try to ruin your character. They'll try to ruin your life. Look what they've done to Matt Gates. They've tried to ruin his life. They look what they're doing to Donald Trump. They'll try to ruin his life. Uh, they, they've come out and said things about me that are just blatantly false and untrue. Uh, I am now stigmatized in the, I will be stigmatized in the history books forever as being an insurrectionist, blah, blah, blah. But the point is they want power and control. When I say they, I mean the uniparty elite. It doesn't matter which party you're in. It's the elite and they are willing to give up this country for it. And my colleagues, because because of the most ephemeral things like, oh, I want to be on this committee or I want to be a, a, a chairman or a subcommittee chairman, they will give it up. And that's that's the regimes and rules institutions I'm talking about. They they get caught up in that instead of saying, wait a second, we have an existential crisis that must be addressed. And they refuse to address it, uh, Steve. They refuse to address it, which I can only mean I only guess means that they they don't fully uh, understand it. A lot of them give it lip service, by the way. They they give lip service to it, but when it comes time to stand up and say no mas, I will not be participating participating in this one more time. We will stop it. There will not be another continuing resolution. If there has to be a one day shutdown or a hundred day shutdown, so we can actually bring the spending under control, they will not do it. They will not do it. As you sit here uh, today, uh, not just the leadership race, but everything around that, knowing the clock is ticking for the CR, and you, you laid out the case. You said, guys, we have to finish our work on the 13th. On the 3rd, uh, the whole thing's going to be done on what, the 17th. That's two weeks. I think, the, I think the coming together and hammering out that joint deal may take a day or two longer. So where are we? you got a couple of minutes here. Where are we in the, picking a speaker in the middle of you should be working this weekend. They're not because the establishment wanted you guys out of town so they can work some evil plots out. So where are we in all this? Well, um, actually, you've got a number of candidates, Steve, and I think there will be clarity uh, about who is vi a viable candidate by Tuesday morning. And then by Tuesday evening, I thought I hope it didn't. I don't care if it takes till two in the morning. Uh, I think you'll get uh, a, a candidate one way or the other that I hope will be acceptable to 218 and hopefully will guard and protect and recognize the existential crisis we're in. And then I, I believe fully that by Wednesday midnight, we'll have a new speaker. We will have voted on that speaker one way or the other. I think this is going to go through. You're, you're of the school of thought. This is going to go through quickly. Yeah, I know. I know a lot of people say, oh, we'll never get there. But you know what? Um, I, I think that, that the appetite by my colleagues to stay around and fight, I, I haven't seen a lot of fighting, so many of them for, you know, the only time they've ever fought is to defend Kevin McCarthy. Um, and that's, that's no longer the case. I think that they're going to have to do some self-reflection. And I think they're going to, uh, hopefully, the most of them, because I think many of them actually understand the crisis, but hopefully they will stand up and say it's actually time to do it. And then we'll get through more quickly, Steve, than I than I think many people are predicting. The motion to vacate was really the grassroots Damocles sword over the head of the uh, of the establishment. Where, where do you people look to you for guidance? Where do you stand on the motion to vacate? You got to keep it where it is. 
Um, you know, people like Jim Jordan, Steve Scalise, they're willing to keep it where it is. It has to stay where it is. It is, it really is, in, in a time of crisis, it, it becomes uh, important. I, I do think it's interesting that that the moderates who think that Jim Jordan is all, you know, this conservative icon, uh, they want to make it harder to remove him if he does something they don't like. I, I do find that to be ironic. Um, but I do think that that the, the posse needs to let people know you got to keep that. That that turned out to be far more valuable than I ever would have given it credit uh, for, to be honest with you. Uh, no, that was it was incredible. That was quite powerful. Uh, President Trump is and we talked about today. I put up President Trump on an interim basis for 100 days. He would step down uh, one on the one year date before his inauguration in 2025 this January, so it'll be 100 days, and get us through, hammer through all the deals, no no CR, no omnibus, get that done, get the investigation on track. Uh, your your thoughts, people look to you for guidance, your thoughts about President Trump potentially as an interim? Well, I, I think that when he shows up on Tuesday, which he said he's going to do, he will, he will provide some clarity for some people who might otherwise not have clarity. Uh, uh, he is the leader of the party. Uh, I, I don't want him to, to be frank with you. The guys, the guys in multiple lawsuits and criminal uh, cases, I don't want him to be distracted by the, the lunacy of, of Congress uh, I, because I want, him to be, I want him to be the president. I want him to be the president of the United States. I'm looking forward to campaigning with him and going with him wherever. It, you know, I know people are going to, uh, I, people have already nominated him. He's already in the queue to be nominated. Um, I think it'll be a secret ballot. I think some of my colleagues would absolutely say, say no. But, but what it will provide, Steve, is a real incentive and clarity, I believe, for people. Uh, you know, there's going to be people that will, it's incentive to not vote for him, but for many people, be incentive to, to support his ideas. Um, but I think, uh, you know, I don't think that he's going to be the speaker, but I do think he's going to be the president and he'll be a great president again. I think you're correct. I think the specter of Trump will <laughs> act like the gallows for many of your colleagues and get there'll be a lot. This will be quite There'll be quite there'll be a lot of focus. <laughs> there will not be any wasted time. I, I hate Congress to use this Biggs, uh, crass term, Steve, go ahead. but I, I, I hate to use a crass term, but I said to you earlier that I think it would be a sphincter tightening moment for a number of my colleagues. That's important. <laughs> Congressman Biggs, you're a beloved figure and now heroic and historic figure. Uh, where do people follow you? How do they follow you, sir? You can follow me at bigs.house.gov. That's my official site. You can see all of the all of the op-eds that I wrote last week. I published, I think it was five or six. Um, and or you could go to at rep Andy Biggs AZ at rep Andy Biggs AZ. Congressman, always honored to have you on here, sir. Thanks, Steve. It's great to be with you. Thanks for your work, man. Um, Congressman Biggs, I mean, it was like Cato the Elder when he finished every speech in the Roman Senate. He would pivot and say, you know, education or tax or everything. He said, well, oh, by the way, Carthage must be destroyed. That Rome would never be free until their great immortal enemy, Carthage, was gone. That's Biggs. That unless we take care of this debt, unless we take care of the deficit, the annual adding to the debt, uh, we're going to destroy the country. It's got to be addressed. Birchgold.com slash Bannon. Go check it out right now. Check, Find out from the Birchgold guys why gold has been a hedge against calamity. For, let me see, let me think about it for a second. Oh, yeah, 5,000 years. 
Go check it out. We're going to be back at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. I commit to you that the show will be on fire. We'll see you back here then in the world. Folks, let me tell you about Salty. It's a company that makes a soft gel supplement rich in antioxidants to help people like you and me keep a healthy heart. While COVID gets all the headlines, it's important to realize that heart disease kills nearly 700,000 Americans every year. Yes, heart disease is the number one killer every year, year in and year out. Heart disease builds over time. Hypertension, high blood pressure, bad cholesterol, diabetes, all of it affects our heart. A healthy heart is key to being energetic as we get older. It is never too early to take care of your heart. You see, heart disease sneaks up on us. You can start in your 30s, and when this happens, you're at serious risk by the time you turn 60. If you want to take care of your heart and those you care about, please go to warroomhealth.com. That's warroomhealth.com. All one word, warroomhealth.com. Use the code warroom at checkout to save 67% of your first shipment. That's code WARROOM at checkout to save 67%. Do it again. WARROOM HEALTH, all one word, WARROOMHEALTH.COM. Go there today. You need, if you're going to be part of the posse, you need a strong heart. You need a lion's heart. How we're going to do that is with Salty. Go there. Do it today. Check it out.